0: You're listening to the Iqra Book Festival 2021, bringing you fresh and innovative content in literature and authorship. Brought to you by the Art and Radio Ramadan 365.
1: Assalamualaikum and welcome to the second day of the Iqra Book Festival. We are delighted to have you all joining us today and we have many many exciting authors um, and interviewers to fill the program for you this morning and into this afternoon. First of all I would like to introduce our first interviewer of the day. Sadia Bhatti is a community pharmacist in Glasgow, has a huge passion for food, scuba diving and hill walking, traveling and being a mum of our three beautiful hungry boys. She today will be um, interviewing Samaya Osmani whose lifestyle themed book Summer Under the Tamarind Tree. I would like to let you all know that there will be an opportunity for questions which can be put in the chat but without further ado I would like to pass over to Sadia. Thank you. Thank you so much Lindsay.
0: Asalaam So I'm Sadia Bhatti and today I will be speaking to Pakistani author and food writer Samaya Osmani. She's the award-winning author for two Pakistani cookbooks, Summers Under the Tamarind Tree and Mountain Berries and Desert Spice, both Pakistani cuisine. And she's currently working on her third cookbook, which is another non-fiction food memoir, um, which is due to be released in 2023, but she's already won the Scottish Book Trust Award in 2021 for that. is currently based in Glasgow. She's been in the UK for 16 years, but she was actually born and raised in the very cosmopolitan city of Karachi in Pakistan and um, today she's going to be sharing all those experiences with us of the most formative years of her life and um, all those wonderful childhood food memories that she's documented so well in her book. So Samaya, welcome to the Ikra Book Festival 2021. Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Thank you so much, Sadia. It's lovely to be here. Thank you.
0: So today, Samaya, we are going to be talking about your first book, Summers Under the Tamarind Tree. Beautiful books, very well presented, and it's it's a really fascinating book. It certainly caught my attention in the bookshop, in the cookery section. So um, this actually won the Gourmand Award, didn't it? For the best first cookbook. Yes, it did, yeah, in 2016. 2016, and that was your first book. So what inspired you, Samaya, to call this Summers Under the Tamarind Tree?
2: Well, uh, I kind of grew up in uh, in a garden at my grandmother's house. I, I was always very interested in gardening with her because it used to be my best way of spending my time. This is my nani, my maternal grandmother. And uh, she was always out in the garden, always picking her fruits and vegetables that she grew. And she had this big, massive um, tamarind tree in her garden that I was never allowed to go towards because the tamarinds are a very sour fruit. And I was always told it's really bad, it'll catch your throat and uh, you shouldn't have it. So I think that whole fascination of not being allowed to go and sit there would always promote me, sort of get, push me towards it more. <laughs> um, obviously everything we can't have we want. Um, and also it had this really beautiful beautiful dappled light that went through it Um, and because it used to get really really hot in the summers and I loved to read and I would always take my books and sit under it because I found out of all the trees it didn't scare me because you know how lots of trees have lots of leaves and you get quite scared as a child but I always felt like quite comforted under it because it had dappled light coming through the thin leaves that it has and it always just felt like you know something different so it has a beautiful memory of obviously the food element of the tamarind itself but also just the memory of it and spending time and, and always um, trying to find a little place of refuge.
0: Oh, it's lovely. Well, you've actually dedicated this book to your mother, both of your grandmothers and your daughter, so all the women of your family. What was your reason for that?
2: Well, I think that food in our uh, culture is something that is, uh, the uh, in, a, in a way, it is the heritage is passed on through the female hand. And and for me, the way I learned to cook was, you know, I'm not a chef, I'm, not a, I'm a self-taught cook, but then I'm not a self-taught cook either. I've actually lived the cuisine. You know, I've actually grown up learning from the women in my family by watching them, hearing them, soaking it in the senses. Uh, and when I came to Britain, I really didn't know how to cook every single thing, but I was able to recall those recipes from those memories in the kitchen with the women that I grew up with. And this includes all the women in the family, my aunts, my grandmothers, obviously my mother. And I think the best way of carrying on a cuisine is really just, you know, we have this power in. I'm not saying that men don't cook, lots of men cook, but there is something quite historical and something quite, you know, heritage based about the women carrying the recipes in the family. Mm. And, and when people get married, it's the women's recipes that come together and create like another household. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that it felt really right for me to dedicate it to the women in the past, the women in the present, like my mom, and then women of the future, like my daughter, who is, Mashallah, only 13 now, but you know, she's learning to cook. And this is, you know, growing up in Britain, this is the closest place that she'll have to a, a heritage. And I grew up in Pakistan, where everyone was cooking, uh, all the different households. But for Ayana, you know my daughter, it's, it's, it's just me and in a way this is my way of carrying on the heritage so really that's the
0: dedication why it was dedicated to all the women. Thank you well could you read us a little section from the book maybe a particularly favorite part of yours? Of course yeah
2: I'll read out the introduction of the book which was um which is actually on page nine if you do have the book Uh and it's really it's sort of like the reason why and it, and it kind of carries on from the question that you asked why did I name this book under the tamarind tree and and it's just that little you know that little snippet of the memory that I was trying to to, to sort of tell you so I'll read it out and, and the the introduction is called Under the tamarind tree <clears throat> excuse forgive my voice because I've just recovered from a flu
0: so I oh, might not at all you sound great
2: thank you Memories of my childhood come flooding back when I conjure up an image of a lofty tamarind tree. This arbor stood regally in my grandmother's garden and offered both sanctuary and solitude. And I spent so much of my youth under its branches, lounging on the cool earth above its deep roots. The fruited bore was enveloped in a crusty brown shell, yielding a rather ugly, pulpy flesh which at first bite would send shivers down my spine. The tamarind certainly wasn't the most attractive fruit in the garden, but its sour flavor was, all, was the most in, inviting to me as a child. And despite endless warnings of side effects ranging from sore throat to the early blossoming of womanhood, I'd still venture to pick another fruit or even chew on the tree's little bittersweet leaves. Then, I'd curl up underneath its boughs and read my book, knowing that the tamarind tree's intoxicating tang would soon tempt me again. As a child, I couldn't fully appreciate the power of tamarind to balance taste sensations with its mightiest touch when it came to flavor enhancement. My first inkling of its magic abilities came while eating lashings of tamarind chutney piled onto chart at one of Pakistan's many roadside stores. They were also my favorite summer drink, the tamarind spiced nectar that brought calm to hot summer days. It's the umami quality of tamarind that has grown to inspire much of my Pakistani cooking and it finds its way into my recipes. While I moved to the UK, I was struck by the fact that a large Pakistani diaspora, our cuisine never found its individual voice. My patriotic spirit and passion for the food I grew up with cooking and eating sowed the seeds for this book. I hope that the flavor of my heritage comes through in each recipe I share.
0: Wow. Well, I wasn't looking at the book as you were reading that, actually, but I remembered all of it. I remembered all of it. And, you know, you really get the the reader really gets immersed into your journey there. So uh, that was lovely. But take us back through your food journey, Samaya, because your background was in law, wasn't it? You studied law. So you've had a completely different you, you've had a total change of career becoming a food writer.
2: Yes, I've had, I've had, I think in one lifetime, I've led many lives. (laughs) And and it doesn't just start from my law journey. I mean, I actually grew up on a ship. And, um, you know, that was a crazy childhood I had. My father used to be a captain, and uh, he, you know, sailed with his family, myself and my mother, and I have an only child. So we traveled the globe, basically, until I was 10, and then we settled down in in Pakistan. But, um, you know, my father's second career was law. And and as a result, I was sort of, you know, Pakistani tradition that we always follow up. Parents' footsteps, so we're always asked to go towards the, the the careers that are, you know, the best lawyer, engineer, doctor, mm-hmm. and so that's why when my father became a lawyer, he hoped that I would take his uh, take on his footsteps and, and take on his career and his his business. Obviously, he had his own law firm, uh, and as a result, I became a lawyer, and. Um, I never really had a passion for it. I love the fact that I could have helped my father grow the grow his firm and, and also just the fact that I knew it was a lucrative career, but I never really thought about what I really wanted to do. I always had a real passion for creativity. I was always very creative and my mind and my heart would always go towards creative things. And my father would always say, oh, they're never gonna pay the bills. You know, it's never the right career. You can do it as a hobby and it's brilliant as a hobby and I'll support the hobby. But I think that, you know, he has a, his old fashioned mindset that was really hard to break. And when I moved to Britain and I worked in a law firm in London for many years, um, I started writing. And I always loved writing. Writing was my sort of outlet. And I think it just sort of happened that, um, you know, I started combining the food, the passion that I grew up with, That that and, and I think many reasons why I really went towards the food was because when I moved here I found that nobody really understood Pakistani food nobody knew what it was it never had its own individual voice and I think as a Pakistani who was born and brought up in Pakistan mostly I felt a real need to give it a voice Mm. and that's where that creativity mingled with this passion um and I left the law and and I obviously started writing cookbooks
0: (laughs) and you're home you're home now so I mean, obviously, you're, you're from Pakistan, but have you noticed many regional variations within the UK amongst the British Pakistani community in terms of their cooking, their ideas, their attitude towards food? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, the, the, I've been here for
2: 16 years, so I've pretty much been here all through my sort of adult years and, uh, well, older years let's put it that way (laughs) Uh, but I have noticed that a lot of the Pakistanis that cook here is very different from the food I grew up with so I grew up in Karachi in the Sindh province but I grew up in a family that was very uh, mixed because uh, my father's family migrated from uh, northern India to Pakistan and my mother's family came from Punjab to Pakistan so Indian Punjab to Pakistan during so they bought their own cuisine and I grew up with this real sort of hybrid cuisine of local flavors plus my parents, you know, family flavors. So when I moved here, I didn't really recognize much of the Pakistani food I ate in people's homes that were Pakistani. Some were very Kashmiri, some were very uh, Mirpuri. you know, there was all this very different kind of yeah. Um, that I, you know, or people from so there was like really different dishes mm. but it wasn't even that the dishes were different, it was even though there were lots of dishes that I was familiar with they tasted different and mm. I think um it has to do with just cooking styles and it comes from regional differences but yeah. then that sort of exists in Pakistan and we never really appreciate it because when you live in Pakistan you live very insular to the province or the area that you're yeah. in and you never really get to experience the food and even when I lived in Pakistan I never really experienced a lot of food that was eaten say in the northwest frontier sort of area when it was mm. northwest frontier or what was eaten in Balochistan until I actually started to explore the cuisine as I have now so, yeah, I mean, even in, 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 in Britain, I've noticed that the cuisines are only those people who migrated. So they have bought their own cuisines. Um, and, and it's funny because
0: it's kind of food I've never grown up with. Mm. Well, if we can maybe stay in that migration kind of area at the moment, because you're obviously first generation Pakistani. Your parents were Indian Muslim migrants. And. Um, I mean, can you explain your thoughts on how the Muslim migration to Pakistan has actually added? To the modern Pakistani food today, oh, oh, absolutely. <clears throat> I think
2: what we have today in Pakistan as a cuisine is a real mixture of migration, um, border cuisine, uh, you know. And then if we go back into history, um, invasions. So the whole the whole region of Pakistan is actually very historical. Whereas it's not ju- the shift in what created Pakistani food today. It doesn't really exist from just the migration so there was you know so if you look at it as the region you know we were we were flanked by Afghanistan, Iran, Central Asia and there was all this cuisine that was always sort of mingling at the borders and obviously border and then there was sort of like the invasion of the Arabs and then there was a Mughal dynasty so there's this all this stuff that's happening in this very small region, so mm-hmm. there was already this real hybrid cuisine there. Though it, there was very specific um, regional cuisine, like the Sindhi cuisine is very specific, or the, the or the cuisine in the frontier area is very specific. But then there was this whole different cooking techniques that when when the migrants came in 1947, they bought. So there were the Hyderabadis and the you know the, the all the different northern Pakistani people from like my father's side of the family, which was sort of Jaipur and Lucknowi cuisine all this very nobility cuisine the cuisine of the nobility came to Pakistan which was you know like a new thing so they bought their food in and that mixed in so in a way a lot of the Indian friends I have that know Nihari for example mm-hmm. you know they they know it and then the Indian Muslims but they don't cook anything like we do in Pakistan but yeah. that's because you know it's changed and, and this is the beauty of cuisine nobody owns a cuisine because it is it's got like feet you know it can travel <laughs> it goes different places and it changes with regional uh, influences and 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 tastes and produce and styles so i think that happened with uh, what pakistani cuisine today is is really um a very new cuisine you know in a way because it kind of post 1947 became this whole hybrid but then it's like a cuisine in the making for centuries because it's yeah. all these different things that have created what we eat today so yeah so definitely the migration added to what pakistani cuisine is today
0: well, my husband's just smiling from the corner of the room, actually, because I'm also from Indian Muslim heritage and I'm always telling him how we brought so much to Pakistan. My husband's Punjabi. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, everyone brought something into to
2: Pakistan today and to course. make it. His, yeah.
0: Well, Samaya, one of your great mentors was Madhu Jafri. She was the giant of Indian cookery. And... Um, I mean, she's endorsed this book as a real treasure, this book of yours. So can you tell us a little bit about the support and the mentoring that she gave you and the influence that had on your life today?
2: Yes. So I obviously grew up knowing the name Mother Joffrey and and, uh, I had lots of her cookbooks over the years. And I was always and I loved what Mother did, which was that she traveled around India or Pakistan and different parts of the South Asia and she would go to people's homes and eat their food and learn stuff from them and a lot of her cookbooks like one of her cookbooks called The Ultimate Curry Bible has incredible recipes from different parts in fact quite a few families from Karachi and, and different parts of Pakistan and she would go and she'd learn these recipes and then she'd put them in there and tell the story of the people who've you know, fed her or taught her the recipe. And I thought that was fascinating because it was like getting an insight into other people's homes and places across the world. So I was very intrigued by that. And when I was young, I really was inspired by her. And, you know, I never thought I'd ever meet her or work with her. Uh, And then um, it was really just, you know, when you follow your passion, doors open up for you. And it's incredible. I never thought this was true until I actually started to write about food and I'd had my blog and I was writing articles. So obviously I was sort of on the net, you know, internet, you could find me as someone who does Pakistani food. Mm. So around, I, I can't even, I mean, I think it was about maybe 10 years ago or something like that. I got a call from a production company that does television shows and said, would you be interested in appearing on a television show with Madhu Jaffrey?" And I just thought it was a joke. I said, there's no way this is true. Mm. Um, of course, I, I followed it up and I did eventually work with her on a television show on BBC Good Food channel um called curry nation and it was all about different nations that have brought curry into the British subcontinent and it was really you know she wanted to cover Pakistan and I was on the show with her and obviously I got to know her over the many weeks of filming and we just struck a chord and I know there's a huge massive age difference between us but we had this passion and it wasn't just that it was our journeys our lives how we came to food how we took it on and you know the way we kind of approached everything was very similar. So I felt a real affinity with Madhur. And I, at the time I said, you know, Madhur, I was still working on law firm and I said, I would love to uh, write a cookbook on Pakistani food. And she said, you absolutely should. And in many ways, she sort of really helped me trust myself about it and I said well Madhu one day I will and would you be open to writing a a blurb for the book she said absolutely I've worked with you and 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 I know what you like and I think she said some very wonderful things about my cooking and about my writing and so I said okay fine and I think about three years later and it took me a while to get there I did get my book and I kept in touch with her and I said you know what would you and I sent her the book and she loved it and she sent me actually this book is a treasure of a short version of what she actually wrote. So if you're interested in seeing the entire thing of what she said, it's, if you go onto to like an Amazon or, or Waterstones or whatever, right. um, you will see the whole blurb. Um, and, and that was it. And then further on, we kept in touch and we've met many times and have gone to New York. We've been on uh, a few um, panel discussions in the British Library together and in New York. Um, and we've been out together, you know, we've kept in touch to this day. So, mm-hmm. so really that's, you know, that that's kind of the journey and, and the support she kind of gave me the
0: whole time. You can't get any better than that, really. No, you really can't. I'm very blessed. And Samaya, why is it that there are so few Pakistani food writers like you? I mean, there are so many Indian cooks, so many famous uh, Indian writers, and even if you go to any bookshop, you know, all the, the the Asian cooking, if you like, is all sort of clumped together as Indian cooking. Now, Pakistani cooking is vastly different; it's hugely different. Why do we why do we not have that same level of ownership of Pakistani food? as there is about India, for example. Yeah, I think, you know, you said the right word,
2: which is we've never really just taken ownership for what belongs to us. I don't know. I think there are a couple of reasons for us, not one reason. Um, I think one of the reasons is we've shied away from taking ownership of what belongs to us. Mm. I think that we are scared to say this is ours and that this has become ours because of these reasons. Mm. I think it just, As much as Pakistanis love food and it's such a deep part of their culture and tradition, they find it really hard to stand up and say, wait a minute, this is ours, stop calling it out yours. It Mm. might be yours, but it's now ours in this way. And Mm. I think it's about giving it a voice. No one's actually taken the chance to give it that voice or not really explored it and I don't know where it comes and many reasons could be fear of sort of standing up to the masses of you know the Indian subcontinent which is a big subcontinent yeah I think there's so many powerful voices in Indian cuisine that Pakistanis may have felt like well it's all been done can't be bothered to do it Mm -hmm. Um, it could just be nobody's really ever thought about it nobody's ever said you know what it's time to sort of say this is mine let's talk about it Mm -hmm. and I think the other thing is that we've always just shied away since partition to take things that are ours to make give it a voice and I think time to break free from that and I think it's time for more Pakistanis, men, women, to write about the cuisine, to talk about the heritage behind it, Uh, because if we don't do it, then we'll lose it and we'll never give it a voice. So I think one of the things is that you have to, you know, freedom fighters have to fight for it. If you don't fight for it, there is no freedom. And it goes the same for cuisine, you know, you've got to speak about it, otherwise no one's
0: going to do it for you. Definitely. Well, I mean, you've got some amazing recipes in this book. Summers under the tamarind tree, and some really interesting recipes. I remember seeing in here the um, stir-fried turkey. You know, I've never eaten turkey in Pakistan. So there are so many foods that you've actually put together here where you, they, you wouldn't even believe that they were Pakistani foods. Yeah. How did um, you get all of this information? well i mean
2: i'll be very honest about this cookbook this cookbook is a family cookbook mm-hmm. and many of the recipes in here may not be cooked all across pakistan so like the turkey one is something my mother cooked because she loved turkey and she'd experienced it you know while traveling mm-hmm. um, and so she wanted to find a way to make it pakistani so many of those things have actually come, sorry, someone's just coming through. Um, <laughs> uh, so many of those things have actually come through the uh, to my cookbook from family cooking and and this is not a definitive book of everything across the country. This is very much recipes and memories of mine that I grew up with in my home. And many of the influences are from different people that I grew up with and my parents. And so in many ways, yeah, you won't see a lot of these recipes across Pakistan, probably just if you came to my house for dinner. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> so that's where they come from. But
0: this, they, they are steeped in the cooking techniques of Pakistan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what it okay. Um, I'm just keeping an eye on the time as well because I know there are quite a few questions that we have from our viewers as well, but I do want to touch on your next book very slightly and also this concept that you always mention about Andaza, and it's very reassuring actually because it shows that nothing is written in stone, and you know you talk about, you follow on In these books, talking about experimenting, experimenting with different spices and different combinations. Now, for somebody who doesn't cook very much, you know, this can be really daunting, picking up a book like this. Oh, I can't do that, you know. Yes, I think this concept of Undaza, and I believe that your next book is also. Called Andaza, or that that, that is an
2: Yeah, but that book has nothing to do with cooking in the sense of like it's not a cookbook. It's it's a memoir, it's a narrative story, but it does have recipes. But it's it's we'll talk about that later. But
0: yeah, uh, just really quickly, um, <clears throat> I mean, if you can talk to us just about Andaza and the concept of Andaza. yeah, I
2: mean,
0: the concept of Andaza. I mean, I am surprised when I
2: Google Andaza. I find only my name connected to it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's interesting because nobody talks about it. Now, intuitive cooking or cooking using your senses is something that's nearly in every single cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the way that recipes were taught over the centuries in many, many cul- culinary cultures. Mm-hmm. And it isn't something that's new, but it's something that might get forgotten because we are getting so prescriptive with food, you know, I mean, even I have to write recipes. And I'm telling you, writing a recipe is so difficult for me, because I don't cook Ever with recipes, mm. and I learned to cook without recipes. And the way I learned to, re- you know, was just a little bit of this. And so many people who are listening will probably, you know, understand it and 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 really see this. Like when they call, when I used to call up my mother, I'm like, "How do you make this?" And she's like, "I don't know. Put a pinch of this, put a little bit of this, blah blah blah." And that's how you learn to cook because you learn to trust your senses, you mm. learn to trust what you enjoy, and you learn to trust memory. Mm. And and when you start to make cooking about those untouchable, unidentifiable things is when you start to learn. And even those people who don't know how to cook, and I teach cookery, and I always tell them forget about the recipe. I'm not even gonna give you a recipe. And they're like, oh, it's about the ingredients, about the food. You smell, touch, feel, taste, Mm -hmm. and add things. Methods, for me, methods are like the story, and the ingredients are like part that are like the characters, and you just literally just pick them up and you play with them and you create your story. Mm. Um, and of course, like a lot of recipes that are, you know, typical and you want to cook them that way, you know, read the methods, learn to like just touch and feel and see how much of everything you like. So, Andaza is that, and that is what Andaza is for me. I have dubbed Andaza the art of sensory cooking because it is an art and it is all sensory. Yeah. And when you start looking at cooking that way, it becomes a lot, lot easier and less daunting because you're not saying it has to be this way. It can be the way you want it to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. I was actually looking at some of your YouTube videos and um, There was one that I wanted to touch on because you repeatedly said how your mother would say you can't cook. You can't do it. And, you know, I got really triggered by that. I remember it took me back to some of my own childhood memories because my mom always would. You know, we had hugely disempowering conversations in the kitchen. (laughs) Really, really nasty things. I mean, I was barely 10 years old. Oh, you'll never find a husband. You can't cook, you know. And by the time I was 12, I was cooking for the whole family. But nowadays I see that that kind of pressure is very much off younger girls. And either they don't have, the, I just think the, the expectation has changed or maybe this, the importance isn't attached to cooking anymore for young girls. What advice would you give to these young girls who don't want to cook or maybe don't see the value in cooking in the same way that we were beaten to do it? I think
2: it's when you start to think of food and cooking as a chore and that you have to do it for a reason. Mm. I think you have to come to cooking as a therapy, as somewhere where you come to disconnect and create something that nurtures you. And Mm. it doesn't have to nurture 500 people of your family. It nurtures you, not just the eating of it, but the creation of it. Mm. And, And I think that taking younger people to the kitchen, it should be about that enjoyment of creation and that in- enjoyment of actually creating something that you can sit in a corner while you read a book or watch television even, but you've made it. and you're giving them a life skill cooking is not something that should be anything much more than a life skill and something that gives you absolute and utter comfort Mm -hmm. and I think that is a way to bring people to the kitchen is not to make it into you must do this because yeah you should should do this because it will make you feel like you've created something that can sustain you Mm -hmm. emotionally mentally physically Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I sort of look at it, and that's how I brought my daughter into it And, and while you're doing that in a way you're teaching them so many lessons you're teaching them about creativity, you're teaching them about ownership, you're taking them, you know, teaching them about heritage and history and belonging. And, and, and you know, that's sort of what my book is, my next book is about, is it's, it's a narrative story about my childhood, about growing up um, on from the ship to Pakistan, to always finding the sense of belonging through food and then the kitchen. And one of the themes of the book is there's a real sense of how Kitchens are always thought of in the Indian subcontinent as a place where women are in a sense kept captive because they yeah. have to create them. But it's actually, my book is called *Andaza*, Finding Freedom in the Kitchen and Flavor in My Hands. And it's really about how actually being in a kitchen is the one place where I felt a sense of belonging and freedom because it gave me the ability to have something that was mine. And mm-hmm. even though there were all these like lots of different things happening in a very conservative society, I still found the refuge in the kitchen. And when I moved away from there, I still found that the refuge to me was always the kitchen because it was a place of belonging. And and I think that's what food should be for
0: people. Great, thank you. I'm just keeping an eye on the time. We do have some questions coming in as well. So I think um, we'll maybe just go on to a few questions before we wrap up, if that's okay. Of course. Okay, um, fast food culture is rampant throughout the world and Pakistan is no exception to that. How do you feel when you return to Karachi and see McDonald's and KFC and all the other fast food chains popping up everywhere?
2: Hmm. Well, I mean, I've never eaten fast food uh, and I've never been a big advocate for it. Um, It makes me sad, but I also think that there's a very small minority of Pakistanis that can afford to eat in those places. So I still think that the people who can't afford, they're still eating at home. They're still cooking simple food at home, whether it's dal roti or dal chawal. People are still eating. It thinks it's a novelty. It's it's a place for people to go out one once in a way. Everyone can't afford McDonald's and KFC in Pakistan. So. I think in a way it's progress, it's jobs for people, it's modernization, which is a good thing, also a bad thing, but also a good thing. Um, but I also think that, you know, it's, it's never gonna be as rampant as it is in the West yeah. because it will never be affordable enough for people, mm. but yeah. for the common man. So I don't think it's a threat yet, mm. but, you know, we have enough sort of street food, takeaway places in Karachi and Pakistan generally, which, which serve local
0: cuisine, So I don't think it's ever gonna match that because that will always be more affordable. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. And the next question is what, uh, sorry, there are so many amateur chefs out there with so many food stories. What is your advice to them to get published?
2: Um, well, I really think that everybody has a story to tell with food. And, and it's really important to document it because if those stories are not aren't shared, they'll be lost. Um, and you know, nobody can take recipes to the grave. You have to share them. They will only live on if you share them. So I my advice is to definitely um, you know look into writing a book proposal. Next year, I am launching an online course, which is all about writing a cookbook proposal and how to pitch it, how to create it in a form that you can actually take it to an agent and how to actually get that far how do you find those agents how do you connect with you know these days you can't cold call a publisher really so it's about getting people the confidence Um, I think one of the main things you need to do before you start to think about writing a good book is to try to build your platform because in this day and age right now you do need to have a platform you need to have a voice in the market that Mm -hmm. is the reason why people will want to buy a book because of uh, eventually a cookbook is a marketing tool it is something that a publisher wants to be able to sell and it's a business so you need to create that platform before you start to think about it but there's no reason why you can't start writing a cookbook proposal Uh, but you do in the meantime you know need to keep working on your on your on your platform
0: Mm -hmm. and what message would you give to um aspiring food writers Uh, i think that's almost a bit of an overlap with the previous question, Um, food writers, Pakistani or non-Pakistani, what um, advice would you be giving to them? I think my advice would be very similar.
2: I would say if you are a food writer who's aspiring to write a cookbook or to write more articles about it, I would recommend that you definitely start building your profile Um, and you start pitching um, for articles and your voice out there as someone who is speaking about whatever cuisine you want to write about. Um, And then you know never stop writing. Just keep writing. If you are a writer, then you're a writer because you write, not because you think you can write. Um, So I would recommend writing every single day, even if you don't publish yourself that is the best advice
0: I can have finding your voice in writing okay I think there's a there are quite a few questions but I'm just going to ask you one last question before we wrap up so I think what this question is asking is um as far as again a fast food question as far as fast food is concerned there are so many YouTube channels who teach us now to cook fast food at home um they're gaining a huge amount of momentum in Pakistani society is this of concern to you
2: no oh, i think where whichever way you can get the voice out there and you know all these different ways of giving your information out there, YouTube, you know, Instagram, all these things. They're just different ways of reaching people and they're different kinds of people who are reached by different means and different media. And I think it's great that people are sharing stuff. It's it's wonderful that people are gaining this momentum. Um, and if it's food that's cooked at home, whether it's fast food or slow food, it doesn't matter. It's cooked at home. That means yeah. there's love, there's intention, there's good ingredients. So so that all of that is 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 good, whether it's fast food or not.
0: Great. Um, okay, Samaya, I think we are going to have to wrap up. We're just uh, coming to the end of our session. Thank you so, so much for being thank here. And we've learned so much from you. And in- inshallah, I'd love to have you back next year with, with your next book.
2: Inshallah,
0: definitely. Thank you so much. Thank My you. next thank book's you. out in 2023, but yes. <laughs> yeah, well, you can come next year anyway. Definitely. <laughs> we will do uh, Mountain Berries and Desert Spice. Definitely. Lovely <laughs> yeah, to yeah, have you Thank you. Here. Thank you so much. For more podcasts, search for RR365 wherever you get your podcasts.